That day, when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You may be seated. Thank you, John. Well, welcome to Friends Church today. I am Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. You may have noticed I haven't been up here uh, the last couple weeks. There's a rumor going around that the reason because of that is because the elders benched me um, until I got some dancing lessons. So if you were here a few weeks ago, you understand that. So you'll have to ask them about that. But we'll get back to that in a minute. I do want to say, though, before we go any further, out in the lobby today, there's a table. And in the last few weeks, there's been uh, some announcements. I don't think it's in today's, but in, in, your, in your program, uh, about our, our help with InterVarsity. And up here in the front row, we have Milka and Arlene and Wayne and Sonny. And one of the ministries that we, our partner ministry, we help, up, help out with is InterVarsity. And what they're doing here is they are welcoming right now the new international students that are coming in uh, to be at, uh, at um, Case and, and, then, and basically Case and uh, some coming to CSU, but they are there too. And, and we, we need to provide housing. We need to provide transportation as they come in, help move and things like that. And so they're here today. And if you have any interest in this, and we encourage you to, just stop by the table and say, hey, what do you need? What can I do? Is there any way I can help? And, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask, right? And so I encourage you to stop by. Thanks so much. We appreciate you being here today and, um, and sharing with us in this opportunity to serve. Oh, wow, it's been a great week. Um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we had the uh, Bhutanese, Nepalese young people from across the country here worshiping together through the New Generation Christian Youth Movement, NGCYM. Uh, and it was just, it was a great time of uh, celebrating, of worship, powerful worship, of some great teaching, sermons. Uh, and it was, it was just so good to be part of that cross-cultural experience right here about I'm guessing I didn't hear the exact number between three and four, four hundred, maybe 350 is a good number of young people that were here and had a great time. Now, I do want to share with you, though, just one little clip. This, this was at the end. The last day, we, it, we had been here Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It was late in the day. It, it was over at about 4.50. This is about 4.30. 4.30 on 
Saturday, just last night. And it was the time where they were giving some thanks and appreciation. And the pastors, some, some of these are the lead pastors of the Bhutanese Nepalese churches in America. On, you're going to see the clip. Here will be Pastor Karna. Pastor Karna is from uh, uh, right here in Cleveland, the, the lead pastor of our two churches, Bhutanese, Datu, two churches in Cleveland area. Over here is Rakesh in the red, you'll see him. He will be, he's the one in charge. He's the president. Uh, he's uh, Karna's son, the one I've worked with so closely in planning the conference. But in the middle, in a blue shirt, is Pastor Norbu. Now, do you, Norbu? Norbu is the man, the individual that we support, him and our friends' churches, Bhutanese, Nepalese churches in Columbus and Reynoldsburg. We support Norbu and the church there, $1,000 a month, as he is planting churches, and he is a very dignified, very, um, you know, uh, proper pastor when you talk with him. Um, but at the end, they decided to have a little fun. And so here is a little bit, 45 seconds near the closing. I taught Norbu everything he knows there. You notice that step? There? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what that was, but, uh, but I, I tell you, the kids were loving it. I mean, there was, there was probably 100, 200 cameras on those kids just taking a picture of their pastors up there, just having a great time. So, uh, so uh, you know, I, I, guess, I guess I'm not the only one. Today, we are in the second of our series, Five Questions That Matter, and Pastor Eric started it off last week with the question of what rules matter, or do the rules matter? And, and so, uh, it led us into this, and, and as we begin to think about just what are some questions that people ask Jesus that matter, and we matter in our lives today, and today we'll be talking about the question of do I matter? Do I matter? And we'll be thinking about that as we... Go through now. It starts off actually with a story you probably know very well that, that John read to us uh, this morning. It's a story of Jesus. And at this point in his, in his ministry, Jesus was very popular. Jesus was a great teacher. And so he had people following him. But not only that, he was a great healer. And people were bringing in everybody with diseases. Jesus was a miracle worker. And so they were watching him perform all these miracles. And Jesus was a deliverer. They were even bringing him those who were demon-possessed, and he was freeing them from their possession. And so, and so this, Jesus at this point was extremely popular, and folks were coming, and, and you, you know what it's like sometimes to be in a crowd, and if you're in a crowd all the time, and people are just coming at you. The, the story we're reading today is actually told in Matthew and Mark and Luke, but today we're looking at Mark for a certain reason, and I'll, I'll tell you that in a minute. But in this Mark story that we read, we see that, that it starts off, that it, it says it's evening was approaching. And we heard that. So evening's approaching. Jesus has been in ministry all day. And it says that then, of course, that he said, 
it's time. Let's, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. So it's getting nighttime, and Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And they start this trek across the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Mark version, I think, is interesting because it includes details that Matthew and Luke don't. And what most people seem to think is, is these are details that, that certainly a very, very interested eyewitness would have picked up. Now, we, most people believe that Mark was getting a lot of his information about, the, about what happened from Peter. Mark was an associate of Peter. And in fact, Mark would follow Peter around and, and hear him preach and write down his sermons. And so he probably heard this over and over. And Peter certainly was an eyewitness to this account. Peter was there, and, and he says a couple things. First of all, he says, they took Jesus just as he was. Which means when he was in the boat and he was preaching and he said, let's go. Which means he probably didn't say, I need to get out. I need to, to take care of some things. I need to pick up some things I left on the shore. I, I don't need to prepare to go. Let's just go. As he was in the boat, stayed in the boat, they took off. It also says, interestingly enough, that, that there were other boats. And he's the only one that says that. So not only was it this boat, but there were other boats they came along, and they, they followed. Of course, we know the story because we just heard it. They start, they get out in the middle of the sea. It's at night, and the winds come up. The waves start crashing, and they've got a problem. The, the, the waves are coming over the boat. I've been out of Lake Erie, and many, sometimes in a small boat with big waves, and kind of get a little bit of a feeling what they know, but I'm certainly not, a, not the fear that they would have experienced. It's interesting. There's a, there's a, a painting by the famous uh, Dutch painter uh, Rembrandt, and you see this. This is called Jesus in a Storm in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you probably can't see it real well there, but you get a sense of the, the waves crashing on the boat, and the boat is, is headed up as the wave sends it up there, and, and you see the, the Jesus and the disciples in the boat. If you look at their faces, you see fear, you see despair, you see anguish, you see terror. You know, if what, what's going to happen here. And it's interesting, you also see between the clouds some yellow. And yellow is a sign of hope. And Rembrandt in here posts this sign of hope. And Jesus is in the back. In fact, the verse on verse 38 tells us what here, where Jesus is. It says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Again, Matthew and Luke Leave out these details. It just says Jesus was sleeping. But, but here, assumingly, Peter retelling re Mark this story, the story he was there, and we know Peter would have been very close to Jesus. Make, make sure we want to know. He was in the back, and he was lying on a cushion, which kind of means this was a deliberate sleep because in the back would have been a place to lay down and to put your head and to rest. This is not... I, I hesitate to use this. This is not like being in church and trying to stay awake. <laughs> you know, sitting up and I'm trying to stay awake, trying to stay. It wasn't that. This was, this was okay, I'd come to church, but I brought my pillow with me. <laughs> you know, I'm going to lay down in the pew and I'm just going to, I want to tell you. That was what Jesus was doing. He went to sleep and he, he was tired. In fact, this is the only place in Scripture that we read anywhere that Jesus slept. Even though certainly he did. But the only place that we read in Scripture that he slept. So just interesting details that Mark includes here. But I can imagine... As, as they're looking at this, um, uh, you know, it, it, they're, 
they're in the middle of the storm and they're looking back and they see Jesus is sleeping and they have these terrified, horrified looks in their face. They think they're going to drown. And, I, and, and, and can you imagine, what the, how can he be sleeping through this, right? How can he be sleeping? And the next thing is, shouldn't someone wake him? Shouldn't someone wake up Jesus? And then I can hear the next discussion. You do it. <laughs> no, you do it. I'm not, I'm not going to wake up Jesus. You do it. And I can see back and forth. But finally, finally, the situation gets so bad, so chaotic, somebody has to do something. So we're told in verse 38, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Rather sharp language for the Son of God, don't you think? If Jesus was here today and you had a chance to talk with him, we would probably be a little more respectful. Then don't you care? Now, although at this point, uh, we question how much Jesus or the disciples really understood about Jesus. Because they didn't call him Lord. They didn't call him Master. They called him Teacher, Rabbi. He was a teacher. He was a healer. He was a miracle worker. But they did say, don't you care? And that's the question that we all ask ourselves now and then. It's the question the disciples came with. God, Lord, don't you care? I think we probably all, I'm guessing, at some point have thought that. God, do you care? I can imagine if I had been in El Paso yesterday in a Walmart and I got out and saw the carnage, saw the death, I, I imagine I might have been tempted to stand back and say, God, don't you care? These folks are innocent. Don't you care? I can understand the disciples thinking, God, don't you care about us? You seem to care about everybody else. <laughs> you'll, heal, you'll, heal, you'll heal anybody that comes up to you. And, and here, this happens to us, and you don't care. And so in, instead of crying out, Lord, save me, or Lord, deliver us, or Lord, can you help? Their first reaction is, God, don't you care? Don't you care? And sometimes that's our reaction, but it's a common reaction. There's a website called Quora. Quora is a, it's a community where questions are answered, created, and edited by the people in the community. So you can join it and you can ask questions and then they answer them and all that kind of stuff. And there was this question on the Quora.com website, not a Christian site. It says, I've come to the conclusion that God doesn't care about me. What should I do? I've come to the conclusion that God doesn't care about me. What should I do? You can imagine the responses, you know, anything from what did you expect? <laughs> you, you're silly for even expecting. You're a fool to expect God to care about you. You're a fool to expect there to be a God, some would say. But it's just not non-Christians. The website christianpost.com comes this question. I'm about to give up on God. I've prayed and prayed for him to take away my problems. But nothing has changed. Why doesn't God do something? I thought he was supposed to care about us. Then in billygram.org, someone wrote this. I've given up on God because he doesn't seem to care about me. 
I can't even begin to list all the problems I have. Money, health, job, family tensions, you name it. I know you say God cares about us, but I haven't seen any evidence of it in my life. The common thread I see here and the common thread probably is I speak with people is that question or the issue of problems. I still have problems in my life. God, do you care? Somehow it seems like we've gotten this thought in our mind, this theology that the existence of problems in our life means God doesn't care. In fact, someone has said this. He says, many, be many believers have gotten the message consciously or unconsciously that if God cared, life would be easy. Problems would go away. We would have what we want and need. Now, I'm going to take a little poll right now. How many people in here have absolutely no problems? <laughs> huh, okay, you're going to stay for the rest of the sermon then, right? <laughs> yeah, don't we all have problems? We all got problems, right? If you don't have a problem, we'll give you one, you know. And some of our world problems, we talk about being first world problems versus third world problems. Here's a first world problem. During the winter here, there are days where sometimes I have to park my car a little further away. Maybe if I've been away and I come back and my close-up spot's taken. And at night when I go to leave, my car is so far that my remote starter <laughs> doesn't work. And I have to get into a cold car. Isn't that a problem? <laughs> Sonny, come on. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you say, oh, Pastor, I don't feel real sorry for you. But you would if you understand that sometimes it takes the electric seat warmers in my seat car, it takes them a while to warm up. <laughs> First world problems, huh? <laughs> no, let's talk about real problems. Let's talk about not having enough to eat, to knowing where your next meal's coming from, to not having access to education health care, to experiencing the hate and evil that we've talked about in the world, to experience those medical issues that we know don't go away, and, and we have these real problems in our lives. And we ask at times, so God, do you care? Do you care? And you know, our, our immediate reaction puts us in some pretty good company, really. When you start reading through the scriptures, you can find people that get a little... Um, put out with God because of their suffering, because of their problems. In fact, one of them was Moses. Moses in, in Exodus chapter 5, he had just gone to Pharaoh as God told him to. Gone to Pharaoh and said, hey, let God's people go. And the Bible tells us that Pharaoh doubled down on him. He took away the straw. He got harder. He became more of a taskmaster. It got worse instead of better. And in and, and, and chapter tw verse 23 of chapter 5, Moses says this to God. He said, ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people. 
And then he says this, and you have done nothing to rescue them. God, I did what you told me to do. And this wasn't just any ordinary thing. I had the courage to, to walk in and to face Pharaoh and to tell him what you told me to do. And you have done nothing. The psalmist in Psalm 42 says, God, why have you forgotten me? And he says this, even my enemies say, where is your God? That seems to be what you would hear if you were writing that question on Quora.com. Hey, where's your God? Job, we know Job. Job chapter 10, verse 3. You know what he said to God? He said this, does it please you, God, to oppress me? Are you getting your jollies out of this? (laughs) Is this fun to you? He goes on. Later in chapter 30, he says this, He, God, throws me into the mud, and I'm reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you merely look at me. All you're doing is looking at me. No response at all. Do you remember when Lazarus died? Mary and Martha both said the same thing to Jesus when he approached. Martha first and then Mary later. They said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you wouldn't have been lollygagging around, if you hadn't been there playing around the other side of the Jordan River, when you had been told that Lazarus was sick, he would still be alive. And I think all of those people, in in one way or another, are saying, God Do you care? Which leads us to the question of the day on the five questions that matter, and it's this, do I matter? God, do you care, but do I matter? Do I matter to you? Does my life mean anything to you? And that's kind of what these folks in the scripture were saying. We don't hear from you, we don't see you, you just seem to be looking at us, you don't do anything. What is the deal? And he says, do I matter, do you care? I haven't seen any evidence of it as was written to Billy Graham. I haven't seen any evidence of it. It's, and it's easy to maybe wonder, do we matter? When we think sometimes how small and insignificant we are in this grand scheme, this grand space. You know, he, God told Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and Isaac, that your descendants would be like the sand of the earth. About a week or so ago, we went up to Headlands Beach, and I started playing in the sand and just picked up one handful. Brought some of it home. I don't know, you allowed to do that? Brought a little bit home. I put it in a little communion cup. And I decided what I was going to do is I was going to pour it out and use it as an example today, by, and I was going to count the grains of sand in that communion cup. I got, out to, I got it to about 15 and I quit. <laughs> I said, I don't have the time for this. I don't have the time for this. But one grain of sand. Do you know, I was reading this week, maybe you did too, that uh, the scientists believe they discovered what they call a super earth. And it's another earth, supposedly, that they're looking at and they think it has water. They think it's a lot like our earth. It could sustain life. And they're excited about it. And what it said was, it is only... 31 light years away. 
Only 31 light years. Wow, let's pack our lunch and go. (laughs) The huge, the vastness of creation. And we are so small. It's easy to think that we don't matter. And that's exactly what the disciples were thinking. Don't we matter? Don't you care? You take care of everybody else. Jesus' sleeping was perceived as not caring. You know, sleeping through a, a relaxing or sleeping through some serious thing going on could be taken as one of two ways. One, you're not worried about it. You're calm and, and everything's fine. The other is that you just don't care. And that's how they took Jesus' sleeping. He just doesn't care. Don't you care? The storm was raging. The wind was blowing. The, the waves were crashing over. And God was snoozing. So why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God do something? Are you going to do anything? Well, in this case, um, they woke up Jesus. And you know the story? We heard it. He springs into action. He steps up and he rebukes the wind. And he tells the sea to be stopped. And the wind stops. The sea stops. Everything's calm. You know, not, everything's calm not just for that boat, but for the other boats that went along. And after that, after that, it was time for Jesus to ask the questions. And in verse 40, he does that. He asks two questions. One, why are you so afraid? And two, do you still have no faith? You know, it seems to me that there's a lot of rebuking going on in this story. <laughs> the disciples, first of all, are rebuking Jesus. Hey, don't you care? <laughs> in turn, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. And finally, he turns the rebuke to them and says, you know, why are you still afraid? Why have you let your fears overcome you? Why is your, only your view, only your, why is your attention only on your problems and your fears? Every time you stare at these problems, every time you look, it just enhances your fears. Your fears have left no room for faith. I told the Bhutanese Naples in my message yesterday as I got a chance to speak to the young people, I said, where there is great fear, <laughs> there is little faith. Where there's great fear, there's little faith. And here he says, there is no faith. In fact, I think it's the Luke version. He says, where is your faith? Where is it? You have no faith. And so he asked the question, but he didn't get an answer. You ever been that? I have no answer. They had, at this point, they had no answer. There's no answer. In fact, the scripture tells us in verse 41, they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Oh my, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That word terrified in, in, in the Greek there, it's actually, it's, it's a stronger word than even the fear they had before. This, it was one thing to be afraid of the wind and the waves. It's another thing to see the man who command the wind and the waves. They saw the power of God, and it terrified them. And they had what I call the postmortem, the, the reflection, the, the meeting after the event, <laughs> the debriefing. I think they set Jesus aside, and they came over and said, who is he? 
Their God box, their Jesus box had just been blown open. Not only could he heal diseases, but the, the very nature that created by God was answerable to him. And they're thinking, I'm guessing they're thinking, let's reflect on this. What happened here today? And I can say, you know, it was, it was Jesus who said, let's go across the lake. Didn't we do what he asked us to do? Wasn't it Jesus who said this? And if Jesus could command, did, does Jesus know? Did he know ahead of time? Was this a trick? Was this a test? Was, were we being punished? Were we being tested? The kind of questions we ask, right? What was this all about today? I can imagine saying, you know, Jesus said, go. We, were, we did what he did. We responded in obedience. Why should there be problems? Reminds me of a, of a lady. Her name was Corey Tenboom. You remember Corey Tenboom? Corey Tenboom. Her and her family had rescued many Jews from the Nazis. And her story is told in the book, A Hiding Place. And she's quoted as saying and has said this before she passed. The safest place is in the center of God's will. I wonder if those disciples in the boat would agree with that. <laughs> they did what Jesus wanted them to do, right? They did exactly what he said, and here yet they're caught up in the storm. And sometimes we misinterpret that again, that saying, when my life, especially when I'm serving Jesus, I shouldn't have any problems. There shouldn't be any problems at all. And we misinterpret what Corey is saying. In fact, in her life, in 1944, as she was doing what God had called her to do, and their family, the Nazi Gestapo, had burst into their apartment, took their family. Her father died in prison. Her sister was put to death with a quote. Some goes something along the line. Her quote, last words somewhere along there was, no matter how deep the pit, God is deeper still. You never know what God's up to, do we? You never know. Do you know the next verse after Moses said, God, you've done nothing? Chapter 6, verse 1, God says this. Now, you will see what I'm about to do. We don't always know God's timing. We don't always know what God's up to. Job, who cried out, said, God, you just stare back at me. He replies to Job, God, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Can you trust me? Can you trust the one who created you, created this earth? How did God respond when Lazarus died? How did Jesus respond? It says Mary came to him crying. You know what it says Jesus did? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I'm glad this sermon is not called Why Do We Have Problems? <laughs> That's not the sermon. The sermon is, I, I, we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. 
And we don't know what God's up to, and even when we think God's up to nothing, it's very likely he's up to something. And being a Christian does not save us or shelter us from problems. Guy I've been reading about and reading of lately was Craig Greenfield. Craig was a young man who grew up in a higher class family. His goal was to be rich. He started off being an entrepreneur until God got a hold of him and sent him into the slums of Cambodia. Then he went from there to the slums of Vancouver, British Columbia, and then back to the slums of Cambodia. Here's what Craig had to say. He says, serving God in the slums didn't earn me protection from cancer. He had cancer. The death of my friends and neighbors, betrayal, robberies, or any of the other struggles we have faced. In fact, we likely faced more of those because of where we followed Jesus. But then he says this. What puts things in perspective for me is the reminder that I follow someone who was beaten, mocked, and ultimately executed and who invited me to take up my cross. You know, see, the, the message is not do we have problems or why do we have problems. We can sit and talk about that. The message is do I matter? Does God care? And Craig says, I found out, even through the problems, even through the suffering, even through the cancer, even through the violence, I serve a God who was beaten, who was mocked, who was executed. The Bible tells us God demonstrated his love for us and while we write sinners, Christ died for us. If the, answer, if the question is, do you care? God, do you care? How can we answer that? How can we seriously answer that any other way than yes when we look at the cross. When you're looking at the cross, there's no other answer, but you matter. I matter. This world matters. God cares about us. He cares about you. He cares about me. Through the problems, and when we write and we say, I'm suffering, I don't know if I believe God cares. God cares, and he proved it. And he proved it by giving his life so that we could have eternal life. Mother Teresa gives us a fresh view of this. She says this, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will seem to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. <laughs> in the light of heaven, one night on earth, or, or our suffering on earth will seem no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Greenfield wraps up his comments with this. He said his promise, God's promise, is simply this. He will never leave us or stop loving us. That's all. But it's enough. But it's enough. Jesus had called him into the boat. And Jesus has called us. And, he, and we might be in the middle of serving him, running through problems. But he has called us and he is with us. Let's go back to that Rembrandt picture a second here. You see that picture? It's, it's interesting. There's 14 men in that boat. Can we zoom in a little bit? There's 14, not 13, which you might expect. Go in. Yeah, we're going to keep going in a little more. Uh, well, would you see that guy with the, in the blue? What's interesting, there's 14 men in this boat. There's 12 disciples, and there's one Jesus, right? <laughs> That's 13. This man who is in the blue, hanging onto his hat, and hanging onto the rope, 
That's the face of Rembrandt. That's the same face that is on his self-portrait. You see, in 1633, when Rembrandt painted this, he painted himself in the middle of the storm. He painted himself in the middle of this boat. Now, if he wanted to be in the safe place, he would have put himself, we think, on the shore, right? (laughs) But he knew the safe place was where the master was. The safe place to be, even though it's in the middle of a storm, is in the place where Jesus is. Jesus never left. Jesus was not getting out of the boat. You know, he could have got out and walked. We know now he could have walked across to the shore. But he stayed in the boat. He waited until they called upon him. And he proved to them they did matter. They did matter. He does care. And he later proved it by dying on a cross. So when you're going through your suffering, your problems this week, and and some of them are going, some of them are serious. Some of them, I look at this one letter that says, I, I, I have all these problems, money, health, jobs, family tensions, you name it. I know people like that. I, I pastor people like that. Some of those are you. You're in a boat with a lot of storm going on. But Jesus is in that boat. Jesus is in the boat. And he loves you. He cares for you. His love is so overwhelming, so amazing, so powerful. So reckless. Say reckless? Well, the definition, one definition of reckless is doing something dangerous and not worrying about the risks and the possible results. Christ came and gave his life for you and me, regardless of whether we accept it or not. Regardless, putting the results in our hands. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your love that reached out to us, gave your life for us. Lord, help us today to settle our hearts on you. To lean into you when the storm is going crazy. Lord, not to handle it on ourselves, but to seek your presence, your power in our lives. Show us your love, Lord. In your name we pray. Let's sing this song together.
couldn't earn I don't deserve Still you give yourself away And you won't climb Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me Sing that again, come on There's no shadow you won't light up Bouncing you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down
I'm about to give up on God. I've prayed and prayed for him to take away my problems, but nothing has changed. Why doesn't God do something? I thought he was supposed to care about us. He cares. He cares. You matter. You matter to God. So much that he gave his life for you. You know what else? Not only do you matter, so does your neighbor. So does your coworker. So does the person you go to school with. So is the person that rubs you the wrong way. So is the person you disagree with. So does the person that maybe is a lot different from you. God loves them too. Go this week. Remember God's love for you. Remember you matter. And let others know they matter. God died for them. God loves them. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our challenges, he's in the boat. And we give him praise for that. Go serve the Lord. Take him with you this week. You're dismissed. <laughs>